Hello, welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level. To interact with us, love seeing you live every Thursday night here on Facebook or on YouTube. Um, and if you can't catch us live, even better, you can catch us any day of the week on your favorite podcasting app or through the replays. So love seeing you over there. So you know me. My name is John Rewark. I'm a past master of the Patriot Lodge number 1957 in Fairfax, Virginia. Next up for his introduction via the Mobile Masonic Command, Joe Martinez. Hey, Joe. Ah. Hello. Hello there. Yes, it's me. Hello. I am, uh, I'm in a car. Joe Martinez, still worshipful master of Manassas Lodge number 182. <clears throat> Uh, proud member of Harmon Lodge number 420 in the Grand Lodge of North Carolina. Fantastic grand jurisdiction. And, uh, yeah, I'm driving. I'll be, uh, in my desk in about 15 minutes. So peace and love, peace and love. Drive safe. All right. Next up, Robert Johnson. Good evening. Hello there. There we go. Sorry, my uh, control panel is all frozen for whatever reason. But anyway, you guys don't care about that. Robert Johnson, past master, Waukegan Lodge, number 78 in Waukegan, Illinois, and the current sitting secretary at the Premier Education Lodge in the state of Illinois, uh, Space Novum Lodge, number 1183, and the lodge that will bring you Masonicon Chicago once more. Woo! Woo! All right, next up, Jason Richards. Good evening, Jason. Hey, good evening, everybody. Jason Richards here, past master of Vacation Lodge number 16 in Clifton, Virginia, member of the Colonial Lodge number 1821 in Washington, D.C., and Lafayette number 79 in Zanesville, Ohio. Awesome. And special guest tonight, uh, who is our presenter, is all the one, the only past grandmaster. Sean Bradshaw, how's it going, buddy? Well, very well. It's good to be with everybody tonight. I don't know if I need to go through all my titles and affiliations. Do you want me to do that? <laughs> Hit the highlights. Highlights. Uh, yes. Sure, sure. Highlights. Past master of Stokesdale Lodge number 428 and past grandmaster of the Grand Lodge of North Carolina in 2020. What an interesting year that was, right? It was a... Very interesting year. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, awesome. Thanks for coming on tonight. Before we do, we want to, um, before we get into tonight's topic, want to give a special shout out to all the patrons who support the show. You guys are awesome. Head over to patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable. So uh, go to our little private Facebook group, chat with us anytime. Some good conversation going on every week and, um, and keeping the show going for many years to come. You guys rock. We, uh, we've closed our uh, secret Santa gift swap, and people are already starting right. to get, get some goodies. So that's that's fun. I'm always the guy. It's like the last. Yeah, I feel bad for whoever uh, whoever Kevin Homan is giving to. Yes. Kevin Homan was, is the literal worst. So <laughs> but I know I know he's going to listen tomorrow, so, um, so he won't catch it. It's going to be 10 o'clock in the morning, and we're going to get a, an angry text. <laughs> angry yeah. text. Capital letters, frowning emojis. So, but that'll be good. So that kicked off, and um, 
looking forward to see what people share. So uh, I've already seen some good feedback, the comments in there. It's, it's why we keep doing this is because people are either brand new to masonry and they, they meet a brother that they've never met before. And that's, that's what it's all about, right? That's why, that's why we do this every week after week. Jason is going to do the tarot card of the week. So let me switch over to you. I'll let you do uh, all right. a little shuffle of how, uh, so, how this week uh, is going to go. I've got my, my current favorite card deck, which is the Kauai Tarot. Hawaii Tarot? Because Kauai meaning uh, cute. And oh. the, cards, the cards are just like abdor- adorable. So, <laughs> cute and minimalist. Uh, yes. Yes. So it was it was between this deck and the Mystic Mondays, and Mystic Mondays is probably my favorite deck at this point. But we'll we'll have a chance to get that out in a future episode. All right. And tonight's tarot card draw is the Page of Wands reversed. Dun dun dun. Mm. <coughs> Page of Wands reversed, so that's interesting, right? Um, the the Page of Wands is usually like setting off on a new adventure, like uh, a new learner, a new um, someone starting a new project, and then something reversed can tend to mean that something is holding it back. So that means maybe you're having trouble getting those last minute Christmas presents because uh, <laughs> only a few weeks away, and you're getting a little stressed, you're getting a little anxiety uh, of. What's to come? Maybe maybe I'm having trouble with all of the uh, presets for our uh, <laughs> our new series that kicks off after this episode. That's right. That's right. There's a little trouble starting the new project. <laughs> Anything you'd add to that? Anyone? Should we should we go ahead and announce, or should we finish the there's, there's a, there's a spiritual path, right? Like. Mm-hmm. It can also allude to the fact that you might be going through a little bit of crisis. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, I think one of the things that you mentioned, John, just now was the idea. um, I can't remember exactly what you said, but basically it's dealing with your own neuroses. Yeah. Getting in your your head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like try to be cognizant of those things, which really seems to be the, um, it's probably not the right word, the antithesis. Is that mean like against? I can't remember. The complete yeah. opposite. opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the, it's like the antithesis of, of, of progress is, is, is like all of these people all over the entire world who refuse to believe that they have some kind of, um, you know, limiting thought process in their own minds. Um, and then they just think that you're attacking them all the time. Yeah. The devil card. That's a cute devil. I love it. (laughs) I mean, those are cool. I'm going to, I'm going to go total opposite. So next week I'm going to bring the garbage pail kid tarot. Oh, (laughs) no way. Yeah, I got it. It's awesome. Let's do it. Let's do it. That'll be great. All right, so Jason, uh, what's this new project that uh, you were putting together for us? So, as you may or may not have 
heard there is a new series coming to Disney Plus that uh, started streaming the first two episodes last night, and that Ooh. series is National Treasure. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. And so very much in the spirit of what we did with the Lost Symbol, we are going to do a recap and symbolism exposition after TMR every week until we're through all the episodes. Nice. Oh, I know. Cool. So they released the first two episodes. We're just doing episode one tonight. Next week, we'll do episodes two and three. And then that means starting next week, you're going to have fewer than 24 hours. Or no, you'll have fewer than 48 hours. Fewer than 48. To, uh, to watch that next episode so that you can be in the know and come you know, hang out with us on unlocking the treasure. Nice. Awesome. We'll be doing it immediately after this show. So uh, look forward to doing that. And without further ado, then let's get right to the tonight's topic. Um, Most of us were at uh, Masonicon South. In fact, all of us were that are on the screen now. And uh, we got to hear each other's super cool presentations. And one that uh, we greatly enjoyed was Sean Bradshaw's. And so we wanted to bring him on to... (laughs) Give us a little spin on on his presentation um, to let us know what's what's on his mind because he took a different look at Freemasonry and how do we measure Freemasonry? How do we try it with a different standard? So uh, that's about all I'm going to do to set it up, Sean. So without further ado, okay. I will hand it over to you and I will bring up the slides uh, post haste. But uh, anything else you want to say before we get started? Uh, only that uh, I was told after the after the conference that uh, I, I guess I got a little heated. I got a little passionate. I don't know. Um, we'll see what happens. What happens tonight? We're going to keep this <laughs> PG, so keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah. That this this is this is true. I will I will keep it PG. I, I have a tendency, not unlike uh, uh, someone too. with the initials Joe Martinez. You know, huh. we we have a longstanding habit of. Really, only past grand officers are the ones who come in and swear up a storm. So, you'd be in good company. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll keep it PG. I'll keep nice. it PG. All right, take it away, Sean. Well, uh, good evening to all the, the mm. brethren and, and friends, guests, uh, all those who are watching or listening. Um, the, the title, as you can see, is Measuring Freemasons. Re- Freemasonry's value or how I learned to stop worrying and love the decline. And the, the impetus of this particular presentation was obviously uh, our membership numbers have been in a drastic decline for, depending on the jurisdiction, anywhere from uh, 50 years to 70 or 80 years. <clears throat> and um, it, I've, I've been thinking about it for a while and, and wondering um, really not just what that means, but um, how it has impacted the decisions that we make at all levels 
of leadership in the fraternity from the from the lodge all the way up to the Grand Lodge level. And um, I had the pleasure of being able to present uh, this presentation to the Conference of Grand Secretaries, got some pretty good feedback from that. And then uh, Matt Parker was kind enough to invite me to to also deliver it at MasonicCon South. So right. uh, I'm happy to be with you guys tonight to be able to, to uh, talk a little bit about it as well. And I encourage you to uh, just jump in and ask questions or push back if you feel it's necessary. Will do. So normally this would be the more interactive part of the presentation. You guys are welcome to, to throw in here. Um, but but I, I like to start out by asking the audience what a thriving lodge looks like. You know, just give me five characteristics of a, of a lodge that thrives. There's uh, always uh, there's always something going on. There's always people there. There's always activities to do. Uh, High attendance. People, activities. Was that attendance? Uh -huh. Yeah. Lots of Program, education. Really. Yeah. Lots of education. Was that, Robert? I was just saying general programming. I mean, uh, having something yeah. to do, like a plan. Mm -hmm. But like you were so, looking for five things. I mean, I could joke and be like, yo, pancake breakfasts, uh, spaghetti dinners, uh, bridge night, and um, the stated. No, he said thriving lodge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Although, okay. although to, to be fair... I mean, there there is some there is some value in some of those things, depending on what the the reason behind them. There may be some social value, there may be some charitable value, but but the the thing that I always find interesting when I when I ask this question is very rarely does anyone say, you know, a thriving lodge has five hundred members. It's <laughs> it's always about engagement. It's about people being interested in in what the lodge is doing. Mm -hmm. It's about um, how the guys get along with one another. It's, it, it's all sorts of other things, but there's rarely anyone who says it, but there has to be X number of people to make it thriving. True. And that's sort of the point is when you think about lodges that are, that are actually doing good work, we tend not to, to actually focus in on how many members they have. It's more about what they're doing. So it's it's it, it's that the, what we do, not just how many of us are involved. Yeah, I agree. Good point. So so I, I would normally do the you know just a short intro on the presentation. I think maybe for this one we'll, we can skip that and just go right into it. So let's talk about membership. Uh, I pulled this quote. This is from this is from a the the head of a Masonic organization in a grand jurisdiction that is not North North Carolina, but very close to North Carolina. And that leader said membership is the most critical issue to all bodies within Masonry. And wow. And this concerns me because if our focus is totally on membership, the question is why? There you go. And then you just pop through them and I'll, I'll talk about them. I think, I think we use membership as a way of judging the fraternity's popularity in, in the uh, overall, you know, 
social settings that, that we live within, within the, the culture of the United States as a whole. Mm-hmm. So we think, you know, if, if we have more members, then we're more popular, we're better known to people that are outside the fraternity. It also gives us a sense of importance, not just as individual members, but the fraternity as a whole. We feel like if more people wanted to be part of it, then they, they view us as being important. Um, I think the the one thing that's probably the most valid concern around membership, and John, I know you've done a lot of research on this, is the sustainability mm-hmm. aspect. Obviously, if you go below a certain number of members within a lodge or within a grand jurisdiction, it's going to be very difficult to to re- retain some level of sustainability as we are accustomed to, at least. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- so that is one valid reason, I think, to keep an eye on, at least on some level for membership. Then there's the engagement piece. You do need a certain number of members to stay engaged and to, and to uh, retain uh, the knowledge and, and, and value that we bring to not only ourselves, but our communities. But I think the most relevant reason, or maybe, maybe relevant is not the right word, but maybe the, mo- the, the, the simplest reason is it's just an easy way to say, hey, are we doing better or worse than we did last year? I mean, most... Most lodges might look at, yeah, it's easy to count how many members you have and use that as a proxy of how well we're doing. Grand lodges look at it and say, you know, we lost a thousand members last year. That's not good. Or lodges may look and say, hey, we lost five, five members last year. That's not good. But, but really, what did the lodge do? Did the lodge actually bring value to the, the members they retained or not? And so that's what I wanted to look at a little bit. Uh, more in depth. Oh yeah, this is, I don't know how many of you watching or, or listening know this, but as we say in business, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's not just about the bulk. It's not just about the big number, but it's really what's what the net is out of that. So, you know, a lodge with 500 members could, and I've seen this, maybe not 500, but I've definitely seen larger lodges that have, literally can't open because nobody's engaged. Whereas a very small lodge with wow. 25, 35, 40 members, you know, you've got 20 plus there every night. The So one of the things I, everybody's looked at the, these numbers from uh, the North American Masonic Association um, and the question is, they, they've been tracking these numbers. The question is, is membership really the best metric for us to use to make strategic decisions? And again, remember, I originally presented this to the Conference of Grand Secretaries, but I think that that question's applicable at the lodge level, district level, and grand jurisdiction. And my concern with these numbers, if you can go on, is, first of all, what, are, what exactly are we counting? Different jurisdictions are going to count different things. You could be counting people or dues cards, just as an example. So I belong to four lodges. I suspect most of you out there belong to more than one lodge. Oh, yeah. I'm one person, but what am I, what are we counting? In North Carolina, we count dues cards. So any number we present, it's the number of dues cards, not actually the number of people. The other thing is uh, those counts, are they completely accurate? Now, they may not be accurate because the grand jurisdictions themselves are not tracking their membership that well. But it's also uh, uh, 
a way to think about how how many Freemasons are there in the United States? The uh, MSANA does not count Prince Hall Masons. That's not a part of their statistics. It does not count what we would consider irregular Masons Mm -hmm. uh, or clandestine Masons. Now, to us, we may view that as it's okay not to count them for whatever purposes we're going to use these numbers for. But the reality is these people think that they're Freemasons. And for many grand jurisdictions, Prince Hall Masons are full, you know, fully equal Freemasons and, and available to for all the rights and privileges that, that we have in our own grand jurisdictions. And yet we don't count them. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I remember I pulled some some of those metrics a couple of years ago, went to, to the sources and it was very hard even just to go get those those numbers. So it's. It's it's really hard because you, you even if you did your best due diligence, you still wouldn't get uh, a straight answer. No. Mm-hmm. Well, and and the other thing is, uh, you know, I've I've had some Prince Hall friends who have tried doing similar approaches to membership data, right? And you know the the Grand Lodge system, you know, has a hard enough time counting. There are Prince Hall. Grand lodges that have no idea how many members they have. That's true. Yeah, the data. I work very closely. Exist. Yeah. Hey, Joe. Joe's back. Yeah, I work very closely okay. with uh, most of our short brother DT Thompson here in North Carolina, our uh, counterpart in the Prince Hall, and and the best analogy I could give is the Grand Lodge of North Carolina, my, our Grand Lodge operates more under a central government type. <laughs> and so and so all the membership data is centralized in, in one single database. Theirs is more confederated. The Prince Hall, at least in North Carolina, is much more confederated. The the there's no central database, at least there wasn't as of two years ago. I think he was working on uh, remedying remedying that. But uh, his best guess is there were about nine thousand Masons, uh, Prince Hall Masons. Uh, whereas the Grand Lodge of North Carolina has, uh, at that time, had about thirty-five thousand. I think we're in the thirty-three to thirty-four range now. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk uh, comparing membership numbers. Yeah, and then so this was the other thing. It's like when you when you start talking about how many members we have, not only do you run up against the the issue of how accurate the numbers are or what they really mean, but then but then in comparison to what are we comparing ourselves to other fraternal organizations like the, uh, the Elks or the Moose. And you can see here uh, their numbers, you know, nearly a million. It looks like the Elks don't even do that good a job tracking, tracking theirs. And the the Moose have, uh, yeah, 650,000. That's a really round number. I'm sure it's, it's not quite (laughs) right, but, but so, so, Relatively speaking, Freemasonry, I think, continues to be larger than those within the United States, but it's fairly close, at least as of now. And then, you know, I I think really what we tend to look at, maybe we do compare ourselves to other fraternal organizations for one reason or another, but really it's more about the historical membership levels. And we can see that, you know, there was that, I, I call it a bubble. Um, we'll see later. There's really two bubbles, 
But the the bubble that occurred uh, following World War II, uh, where membership really drove up and has been in a steady decline since then. So the the problem is when when we look today at our quote unquote recent past, if we look over the last you know fifty to a hundred, maybe not quite a hundred years, we're we're in decline. Relatively speaking, all any anyone who joined in the last fifty years, and that's the vast vast majority of our members, have seen nothing but lower membership year after year yep, after year, right. and it and it creates this real sense of insecurity about oh, the yeah. fraternity. I think. Yeah, I mean, if you if you say your car is going to the end of a cliff, eventually you want to like hit the brakes or, yes. or get out of the car. Yeah, yeah. But the real thing is that. that w- what are we really looking at when we look back 50, 60, 70 years, we see that bubble and we're comparing it to a bubble. I don't have uh, extended data for, you know, all the grand jurisdictions, but I do have extended data for North Carolina. So this graph is aligned date wise with the, with the national uh, level that we just saw. So you can see it's the same pattern. It was, mm-hmm. was kind of high in the late twenties. Uh, the great depression hit a lot of members, got dropped. And then there was this huge boom in North Carolina uh, through the 50s, 60s. And and particularly for North Carolina, it even went into the 70s and early 80s. Uh, and and I hate to air dirty laundry, but the but the fact is that that continued increase was predominantly related to issues with desegregation. So lodges were viewed as a place where uh, white men in particular could could continue to go and and feel you know sort of safe and segregated from uh, you know everything else that was happening in the world at that time and so at least in North Carolina I suspect that tr- it would be true with a lot of the southern states uh, those numbers continued to go up uh, into at least the 70s and and well, we didn't start taking a dip until around 81 or 82. But I have access to more data. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and this is the thing that I think is really important to look at. When we look at our, when we go more than 50 years or 100 years back, you can see that for a long time, uh, you know, from the mid 19th century up until the early 20th century, the, the membership numbers were pretty flat. Uh, the, and, and the range was somewhere between three and 8,000 sort of during that, that uh, whole time. And I always like to point this out. The only reason that I, I don't go any further back than 1865 is because the proceedings used to include every member of the fraternity. So in or- basically, they didn't have a count by lodge. They listed every member of the by lodge name. in the proceedings. So if you want to know how many members there were, you'd actually have to count them. Uh, and, and that's just more work than I was willing to put into the, to go sounds further like, back than that. Sounds like a good job for an EA. <laughs> yeah, OCR so I think... It and, uh, let OCR AI take care of that with handwriting. Oh yeah. And then, yeah. So I think um, the reason we tend to to really focus on membership is money. Um, I think the 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 reality is that both at the lodge level and at the grand lodge level, we're we're using membership as a substitute for money. There's a there's a financial strain that comes with um, 
retaining the type of organization we have, the types of buildings we've got, you know, the regular maintenance and upkeep and things like that, that it just requires a certain amount of, uh, you know, financial stability and more members equals more money. The thing is, that's a that's a bad substitute. You, you said the quiet part out loud, though. That's the that's the scary part. Like we all <laughs> we all kind of think think that that's part of the equation, right? But you know, it's there's some truth there, right? Well, and and think of it this way too. Um, again, anyone who's joined in the last, at least in North Carolina, the last 50, 60 years, they have seen membership go down, per capita go up, lodge dues go up. Um, that's not what they're used to. When I joined my lodge, the, the, the annual dues were $35 a year. Uh, now they're, uh, I think with per capita, just over a hundred. Wow. And I joined 27 years ago or 26 years ago. So that's still not a dramatic increase. There's, there's been no, no inflationary, uh, adjustment. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. Sean, coming from a from a grand lodge, grand master perspective, I, I think we'll let's say like both perspectives. Your personal past grandmaster hat off, and then mm-hmm. like when you had when you had that job, um, you obviously had to think about more than just what you were looking for. So the question is, um, how do you feel about when a grand lodge mandates a lodge dues minimum, there was we had some discussion around that. Um, uh, we in North Carolina, we've tried, and I personally have submitted amendments uh, trying to increase the 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 minimum uh, uh, dues per year. The um, I, I've also. Uh, tried to, to do the minimum for, uh, for initiation, trying to increase that. Um, and, and we can talk about that as well, uh, if, if you like, but, um, but I, there, there's the, personally, I think every lodge should, uh, be able to sustain at least do, do, maintain regular maintenance on whatever facility they have uh, and provide some basic, I don't know, you know, level of resources to their members. Uh, Basically turn the lights on, have a meeting, you know, maybe enjoy, you know, coffee and not stale donuts, something like that. At least, you know, minimum. Yeah. Their budget should be based on, should be based on dues that allow that. Then if that lodge also is in a position to be able to have income, either through investments or rentals or something like that, those dollars, I think, should actually be going into a capital fund. So for, for big type stuff, right? Not, not your charity, not your regular maintenance, but what do you do when the roof, when a roof goes out? You know, you have to replace the roof or you have to replace the HVAC, having that, that money set aside. And frankly, Frankly, I think that's how we used to operate. I mean, that's that's what that's what was going on back in the the late nineteenth, yeah. early twentieth uh, century. A little anecdote to go with that. I know that uh, my mother lodge, um, shortly after I had joined, um, the furnace went out, and it was like a seven or eight grand 
cost to replace the furnace. And of course it was approaching winter and basically the master had to pass the hat around because they'd never been budgeted for, like there was no rainy day fund and dues were just barely enough to just keep everything working. And they, uh, fortunately the brethren stepped up and and put money in the hat. Next thing you know, we got a new furnace, but it shouldn't come to that. Yeah. And our, our, at least in North Carolina, our code does not require it doesn't set a dollar figure. It does say that the that the lodge dues should be able to essentially fund lodge activities, if, if you will. There, but there's no set amount. I, I think it would be good to have a set amount. And I think that the initiation fee should be substantially higher than it generally is. Well, um, well, Sean, doesn't focus focusing on membership incentivize bad behavior? <laughs> Yeah, actually, this this aligns with exactly what we were just talking about. And and this is, I think, the real crux of my argument that particularly at the Grand Lodge level, but again, even at the Lodge level, when we are focused purely on membership and how many members we have, it leads us to make decisions around adding more members, which it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, there's, you know, the good PR and more charity and things like that. There can be some, some good outcomes to that, but there's also some potentially really bad things. One of the worst is the first one up there. And that's, we've, we have kept our dues and per capita artificially low. They have not, they have not stayed uh, at an inflationary rate. Um, And the idea was if you keep it low, then it makes it easier for people to join. But, you know, like my son, if he bought a new pair of shoes, it would cost more than than the dues at the lodge that we both belong to. Wow. Uh, I, I think most grand jurisdictions at this point have lowered their age requirements to, to 18 mm-hmm. to try to pick up those extra, you know, a few extra years potential of guys coming in. And I'm just not sure every man at the age of 18 is ready for the type of personal spiritual moral transformation that we offer. I think, I, I think there may be a few guys. When you think uh, about that, that Sean, what's that? The, the thing, I said, when you think about that, that 18 year old thing, right? Like what we offer is this profound change in, you know, your, your psychology. And um, the thing is, is like, if it's a social club or something, um, or we've made it kind of like, no different than you need a driver's license to get a blockbuster video card back in the day, right? Like right. go to the video rental yeah. store. There's just like the arbitrary legal lawful kind of thing that says it's okay. But really like we know today, even uh, that the human brain, at least in a, in a male evolves up to 25 years old. Yeah. And yeah. so up until right. 25, you're still, you're still going through all the things. Your brain is still growing and functioning and synapses are, are coming together to, to form like new ideas and you're, you're, you're really developing. And so, uh, yeah, it almost makes, um, you can make that argument that really maybe we should not have 18, but maybe the minimum age for a Mason should be 25. Um, but then, you know, of course you get into the argument, uh, that you should probably be 25 for anything that, requires your legal a legal uh, contract consent yeah. right mm-hmm. <laughs> well I, I think just to chime in since i've been so quiet and that's weird that's is fun. um it is <laughs> and I, 
I was driving. Um, but uh, Sean, you, you, you hinted at something uh, in, in the last slide where I, I think it's a compounded problem. It's not just two separate problems. You have the problem of we keep dues artificially low because, you know, we still ascribe to the idea that, oh, let's make the barrier to entry lower, right? And I think right. that that's compounded by what Robert started to talk about, where depending on which lodge you go to, you may be getting a different experience, right? There are absolutely lodges yes. and I've been to them where they could give two poops about spiritual transformation and all this and that. And all they care about is bringing in guys so that they can join the shrine or that they can join this body or that they can, um, you know, prop up the, uh, you know, again, these artificially low dues. So I think it's a, it's a compounded problem because it's, it's watering it down on two fronts, right? With the membership decline, the money's not coming in. And then the value is also not being reciprocated, right? Because you're paying, little money for little value, essentially. And I don't want to sound elitist, but it also, it sets an expectation in that new member's mind that, that Freemasonry is not that valuable. And, and so, and so, you know, maybe they're okay with what they're getting from, from their lodge experience because they pay so little for it, which sets expectations as they, as they, gain in experience or maybe not experience, but time in the lodge, they become the new leaders. And so they have that same mindset. Yeah, this is the one where I want to have some fun. So I actually said this to uh, the uh, conference, the conference of grandmasters, the Northeast conference of grandmasters a few years ago, I said they were talking about membership. And I won't call out the grand jurisdictions that were doing the presentation, but getting membership, getting membership up. And I said, hey, guys, look, if we just want to get more members, why don't we just let the women in? Why don't we just remove the age requirements? I mean, automatically, you're going to get more members that way. There's a lot of things we can do. If if really all you are concerned about is more members, there's a lot of things we can do. Um the, the uh, last la- two, like the landmarks, I, uh, I, 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 uh, landmarks, which landmarks? <laughs> landmarks. We're hearing like, a hey. stroke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was assuming that you, that was something akin to what you heard when you made that recommendation. Uh, well, no, actually. Uh, I, 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 I did let them know, obviously, I was joking to some degree about, you know, some of these things. It's just I, I was just trying to make the point, like if that's all you really care about is more members, there are ways to do that right. fairly easily. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's what they really care about. It, it really right. goes back to the money problem. And that's where the, the, the fourth bullet down, eliminate dues. All I mean, together. that's one. Hey, get rid of dues completely. Guess what? You'd never NPD another guy. You'd that's never. It, it, it's just a mailing list. They sign up and they're in it forever until they unsubscribe, right? Yeah. Who wouldn't stay in? You could have a million me- members in a lodge. It would be easy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if we did that, uh, there's a star beside that one, asterisk, because I think if you made the initiation fee high enough, 
you could eliminate dues. You could essentially create a, a perpetual membership out of the out of the initiation fee. Um, there's pros and cons to that, obviously, but uh, that's you know there there may be a, a little bit of a positive there, depending on how you did it. And then my big one, and this is something unfortunately I had to deal a lot with when in 2020 when I was grandmaster. Everybody thinks about COVID first, but you know there were a lot of there was a lot of social upheaval that year, and um, and I had to deal with far more racists in the fraternity than I I really cared wow. to, uh, and and I, I, my, the most proud moment was the week that I got rid of three in one week. Kudos, bravo! <laughs> so, what's the alternative then? Well, here's okay. So here's the alternative. If we don't count members, then there has to be some way to determine the value of the fraternity. If it's not how many members we have, what do we count? And I think we start with by looking at the health of the lodge and the value we provide our members. And then cumulatively across the jurisdiction, the healthier our lodges are, the more value we provide to our members, the healthier the Grand Lodge is. And then I think Beyond that, the more influence we have in the community. So at this point, you know, normally I would just kind of deep dive into each of those areas. And it starts with lodge health. And here's the thing. Again, counting how many members we have is very easy. But if you want to look at right. lodge health, that's a you got to it's multivariate, right? You've got to look at quantitative and qualitative measures. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a few listed here. I've, I've actually. Um, pulled this data uh, as much as possible that we have access to from our membership system and, and sort of graded lodges based on membership demographics. That's age, you know, that's where they're located. Um, the financial analysis, how healthy is the lodge in terms of their finances, what type of attendance they have, things like that. How good is their ritual work? Those are the, so that I'm sorry, John, but the, the top part just to, finalize it. The top parts, your more solid type data, your more quantitative type data. Mm -hmm. And then the, the lower ones are your more qualitative aspects that actually, when, when we talk about a thriving lodge, most people tend to talk about the things that are on the bottom, not the things that are on the top. Right. So you said you so, pulled some of this together and we're able yeah, to- Yeah, I pulled some of it together. Like this. And, yeah. And this is just a, a little screenshot and so looking at lodge health, like, uh, you know, you can see sideways arrows, down arrows, up arrows, things. It's all that. One of the one of the interesting things that I looked at was, um, say, Royal Whiteheart number two. You see the it's going down that the down arrow. Uh, we don't want to lose Royal Whiteheart number two. But but why is Royal Whiteheart number two doing so poorly? And, John, if you click one more. This is a this is a map. This is from justicemap.org, and it and it shows you back up one, back up one. There you go. It what it shows is the population statistics and the uh, income statistics for the twenty five mile radius around that lodge, and there's no money in that area, and there aren't that many hmm. people. <laughs> yeah. And 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 you know I hate to say it, but the vast majority of our members tend towards Caucasian. And there's just not that many Caucasians either. Um, 
And that's a problem if you still have racist senior lodge. So there's no wonder that lodge is doing poorly. Whereas Zion, which is an up arrow, uh, that one, you can see the, the, there, there are pockets of higher income areas within that, that same 25 mile radius. And there's a lot more people to draw from. And the, the point I wanted to make with this was I think at the Grand Lodge level, there are tools available for our leaders to look at and say, if we're going to start a lodge or if we're going to let a lodge, you know, go away, if we're going to put effort in saving a lodge, where should we put our effort? Should we yeah. put it in an area that's in dramatic decline and really can't support a lodge? Or should we put it in an area where uh, there is, you know, potentially more members that or a greater community involvement or more value that we can bring to that community. Again, Royal White Heart number two would not be one I would want to lose, mm -hmm. uh, but but it they're doing actually doing a little better now. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sean, I was actually going to chime in on that because I've seen this and I think we've all seen this that some lodges that are struggling or have low attendance or a lot of those quantitative factors, you see them get artificially propped up. Right. And it usually right. happens for a year where it's, you know, the lodge next door is like, hey, this lodge is going to lose its yes. charter. Let's go help them out and let's go do this and let's go do that. And it's artificial. So on paper, this lodge looks like it's doing better. But in fact, it's all just a, a migration from one lodge to another. And in fact, it's all false and hollow. And in a couple of basically, they're just staving off their own demise. So, you know, which right. I, I see it's a lodge a lot doing the work of three. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I, I think it begs the question of, should we let some of these lodges die instead of keeping them on life support year after year after year, you know? Yeah, which which I, I think it's interesting, too, the way that you categorize this, because basically what you're doing is you're looking at it more from like an urban planning kind of approach. Yes. Rather than just yes. a quant, you know, counting heads, you're actually looking about the area, the demographics, the, mm -hmm. you know, what what's around. And that... Um, Related to a story that that uh, I was told to me that um, right worshipful uh, Ray Solomon in, in our area was part of uh, looking at redistricting uh, uh, for the entire state of Virginia, and what he found in his research was that most of the lodges that still exist today were founded near train tracks mm -hmm. or, or yes. near you know or near yep. uh, you know train stations. So. You know, that's why they are where they are. Um, of course, highways have been built all over the place since then. But, um, you know, lo lodges take a long time to close. So we've had generations of turnover, but they're still there where there's not this uh, population density anymore. And so that's that's an excellent point to bring up. Joe, Joe to your point, and I don't know about other jurisdictions, but I know in North Carolina, whenever we at the Grand Line level, whenever we hear about a lodge that is looking or discussing turning in their charter, you know, there it, at least up until recently, there has been like, don't give up your charter. Don't give up, no matter what, merge, do something, don't give up your charter. Um, and I don't know that that always makes sense uh, to put that effort in there. Uh, and so what I was trying to describe there is like maybe a broader way to look at it and, to, and make a decision. Where do we put our energy? You know, which lodges should we should we really work hard and use resources, additional resources to to retain and which ones are, you know, have just outlived the communities they're in. 
Yeah, that, that's a good point. Let's uh, let's get back to the presentation because I've got a few more slides and I just want to make sure we get most of your points in. Um, you did one another one I think, for this one. Yeah, you can you can skip through that one. Okay, we'll, we'll just skip through that. Sorry, one. Granite Lodge. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, sorry, Granite Lodge, but but here's so so this is what based on that that multivariate uh, mm -hmm. analysis I did. This is sort of the breakdown of North Carolina. 1% of our lodges fall into an excellent <laughs> status. 18% strong, which is pretty good. 50-ish neutral, but then, you know, 27% are weak or unacceptable. Unacceptable means basically either they're they're turning in their charter or they're dead and they don't know it. Mhm. Mm I mean, that's that's just the the way the the numbers fell. And you know, there's you, I could make a small adjustment and, you know, 40% could be weak and unacceptable sure. or, you know, just depending on right. how, how you, how you want everything. to weigh everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How you weigh everything. So that's lodge health. What about member? Value? Yeah, that's lodge health. I think, I think this one member value is really where the crux of it is because lodges exist to provide value in my opinion, mm -hmm. to, pro to provide value to the members. And one of the most important things we do as Freemasons is we provide access to friendships. Um, and those friendships, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm an esoteric Mason. I believe in the transformative power of our ritual, but I think that's aided by the friendships mm -hmm. that we build over time within our lodges. And, and these are the statistics for today. You know, in 2021, 32% of the people in the United States had less than three close friends and, and 12% had no close friends. Um, and most people today <laughs> spend very little time with friends. But if you ask a Mason, particularly any of us who are even relatively active, we've got tons of friends. We've got so many friends. We can't even remember their names all the time. And the, the issue is if you can click John, is that friendship is correlated to health. Uh, your overall survival rate increases yes. by 50% if you have strong social relationships. There's, I think today, social media has created a veneer of a broad sort of quote unquote friend list but there's not that much depth. And so I don't know how real it is. Whereas lodges mm -hmm. actually provide that. Well, just to, just to chime in for two seconds on that only because, and, and you've seen this Sean, cause you have, you have kids. Um, how many people in today's generation gauge their popularity or their mental well being based on how many friends they have on Instagram or, or how many yeah. followers they have on talk you know what i mean and you know i, oh, I yeah. see it in my household and it's exactly right i think veneer was a really good way to say it because it's not that interpersonal relationship that you have don't forget to subscribe someone. to the masonic round table by the way. <laughs> yes on facebook like and subscribe. tiktok and yeah, follow us on facebook <laughs> yes so what I have here is a basic membership survey. And this is my suggestion is that lodges use something like this. It doesn't have to be this exact thing just to help gauge the value that their members believe that they're getting from the lodge. And I highlighted a, a few um, specifically because 
it's really about how I feel about my membership in the lodge. Do I recognize most of the guys that I belong to the lodge with? Active members, probably yes. Inactive, maybe not. Have I formed those close personal bonds? You know, do my friends and family recognize that since I joined the lodge, I'm a better person? Do I see myself as being a better person? This, this is where the real value of our fraternity comes from. And it's something that we completely ignore and instead look at a number at the bottom of a roster list. And I think that's a problem. I think, I think we need to do, we need, we need to track different metrics and that will drive different decisions. Agreed. What you measure gets done. Yes. It's a so, quote. Mm -hmm. So Sean, I've been thinking about this a bit since Masonic on South. And one of the questions I have is, so winding up to it, it seems to me that the drive for members really comes from the Grand Lodge level. And a lot of what we're talking about as far as where Masons receive their value are from their local lodge. Yes. Yeah. Boom. And so is this the case that the Grand Lodges only perceive, you know, value in the form of dues and number of members? So, like, so what you're, yeah, what you're, no, to, what you're calling out, no, just be forthright. I mean, no, what you're calling out is there, there is a difference in, in how lodges view their purview, their value, what they're doing versus what grand lodges do. Right. And, right. and that drives different decision-making. Now I would argue that, there are lodges, certainly, uh, I mean, most lodges that I go to complain about how many members they have. Usually it's more in, sure. in, in line with, you know, not, not the total number necessarily, but it's, you know, how much engagement they're getting. And that's a different, that, that's a different issue. It's, the it's folks related who to show members. up. Not yeah. necessarily the folks who pay dues, right? Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But, but yeah, there, there is. So there's a disconnect here between the Grand There's Lodge and the Grand Lodge priorities and the local lodge. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah. so unfortunately, again, if we, if we go back to the bubble, right, that bubble created a sense of, we need to be here. The, all the members who came in since that bubble have seen nothing but a decline. So the leaders who have come up during that time, have seen nothing but a decline and and been filled with this emergency. We've got to turn it around. We've got to turn it around. We've got to, and that's all they know. That's all we know, right? Until someone looks at it a different way. It's like buying Bitcoin at sixty. Sixty mm, K yeah. or sixty dollars. Yeah. Touche, <laughs> touche, sir. But Depends you know, to, to put a bow on that, it's exact you're exactly right, Sean. I mean, people for sixty plus years have been seeing this trend. But in 60 years, nobody's doing anything different. You know, you get your occasional, you get your occasional, uh, you know, mission statement or you get your occasional, you know, uh, thesis that says, hey, this is the things that need to change about the craft. 
not much not much of an action plan uh, after that so i think that's a good point i want to get skip ahead to one the one slide that kind of blew my mind that 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 sean uh covered because sean went into a couple of the things that north carolina has tried over the past decade or so that's had a variety of different results but this slide here was like blew my mind because yeah this this is i'm glad you jumped to this one Mm because this is really where the rubber meets the road so this graph is um, the number of members that fall within uh, each of those five-year increments. So if you look at it, you can see from, from age 65 on above, that's half of the Grand Lodge of North Carolina members are at least 65 years or older. That tells me one quick thing, in the next 20-ish years, a lot of those members are going to be gone. Mm-hmm. probably the vast majority. We will lose almost half of our membership to death over the next 20 years. And there's really nothing we can do that's about it. Basic statistics, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just, you know, I mean, uh, b- barring all of them, uh, uh, you know, have being endowed members, uh, the money's going with them and there's just nothing you can do about it. It, it was interesting that uh, you bring this up because, I had heard something and I thought, man, you know, I wonder how true that is. And so I ran a data analysis just on the uh, the lodges in the north uh, side of Illinois. And what I found was that uh, more than 60% of the lodges in my area, so about 100, 120 lodges, the average age of their regular member, whether past master, whatever, doesn't matter. Just so, you know, paying dues member or a, uh, you know, 50 year, doesn't matter. Member of the lodge is over the mortality age. Oof. Over the, so like all I can think of what I'm like, you guys are already dead and you don't even know it. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the only good thing is, strong social networks actually increase longevity longevity so so we might be buying a few extra years Collect more friends the older you get that's what i'm hearing <laughs> holy smokes but it but it doesn't go on for us to our members yes yeah <laughs> but wait so, there's more so this is our baseline right and then the the purple bars we have an educational program in north carolina called the middle chamber Okay, and that is an esoteric educational program. Uh, And this is the number of members that have participated in at least some part of that program since we started it in 2017. And there is a dramatic difference in the age demographics there. Clearly, younger men are far more interested in the esoteric aspects. They want they want that part of the fraternity. Uh, but unfortunately, that's not where the fraternity has been geared for the last 50, 70, 80 years, right? Mm-hmm. It's been geared more towards the charities and the social part. And I think this is a yeah. clear indication that that either we we have we will make a shift just because the, these demographics, these guys are going to grow into leadership and so they will they, they will become stay. the new leaders. Or or perhaps we could take the bull by the horns and make that shift more directly at the Grand Lodge level. Of course, we've done that in North Carolina, but I think other grand jurisdictions could proactively push for that 
and and generate more engagement at that at that younger age. That sounds blasphemous. Yes, how dare you? Blasphemy! It, blasphemy! It, it is what it is. Hey, I'm a numbers guy. I have theories, but I always look back at the numbers to yep. see what to see. You know, it, am I on the right? I have you know I have an idea, and that's like I said. the The whole impetus of this presentation was, gosh, it feels like everybody talks about numbers and and joe i think you said it like but nothing has changed over 50 and it's not for lack of programs we got i almost said a bad word we got a ton of programs (laughs) that have that have been tried but but the the reality is i don't know that that we have to be a certain size i think there is a there's obviously a sustainable level that we have to be at um, and are we there yet? I don't know. I mean, I, I personally think at least in North Carolina, we could, we could drop a bit more before we drop below that sustainability level. There's a financial aspect. Yeah. There, there, there's a financial aspect, but none of it matters. None of that matters if we're not providing value to our members through, uh, particularly education, communication, but also those social networks. There you go. So, uh, so what's your conclusion there, Sean? I think I just said it. You but did. You did. <laughs> yeah. Did. Yeah. Yes, there are, it is. Improve time, so. and you will strengthen Grand Lodges. And, and, and Jason, to your point, you know, I think, I think there is, that, I had a point. there is a disconnect, right? But if Grand Lodges looked at Lodge Health as, as, you know, their job, the Grand Lodge, the Grand Master's job is to make sure lodges are as healthy as possible. And our policies, our strategies, our decision making is all geared towards that. We might have a yeah. chance at, at turning the ship. Mm-hmm. That is well said, well, well assembled. And you had me at data. So, uh, <laughs> you know, most worthful, Sean, um, do appreciate your insights, your thoughts, your different view of the world uh in many ways uh the, the least of which being the being the data guy who can help pull this stuff together to help you know tweak tweak us in the right direction so uh again i was i was floored especially by that last slide um and so i want to thank you for pulling that together to give give some hope uh into yeah. to uh, the the future of the, of the fraternity well uh let me just say again thank you for having me on giving me the opportunity to present uh, this information, these these ideas, theories, and, and the data behind it. Um, also, want to congratulate you guys. You, I mean, we've known each other for a long time. We've we've been involved in in different uh, groups and and different activities over the last several years. And I've, I, I'm not going to say what I said before, but but I really appreciate the fact that you guys get stuff done. You you are a constant within our fraternity at a national level, maybe even international level. And, and uh, I'm just, I'm so proud to be your friend and your, your brother. And uh, again, thank you for having me on. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very proud to allow you to live a longer life by knowing me. So you're <laughs> Yes, Joe, it's Everyone you. friend, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know if anything, Joe's going to shorten my lifespan. <laughs> <laughs> stress and anxiety uh well hey I'd, I'd love to wrap things up uh, but we are over time so if you want to catch the the new series about the new national treasure uh show on disney and, and the reviews that that you get from us 
stick around and we'll be live there in just a few minutes and otherwise catch it on your favorite podcast app again thank you very much most worshipful sean appreciate you you rock and for you watching and listening keep searching for more like have a good night Wow.